Welcome back to the Hogwarts Express. We are going to Project Geekology. I am not your normal host. I am Jen, the wife of Dakota, but introducing our hosts. Hi, I'm Dakota. I'm one half of your host at Project Geekology, and feels good, you know? It's a nice day in Scotland, right into Hogwarts Express, going down to episode 12 of Project Ecology, and I'm joined with, as always, Anthony, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some uh, chocolate frogs, you know, feeling a little uh, peckish. <laughs> peckish. <laughs> I'll take the lot. <laughs> I'll take the lot of him. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, the Philosopher's Stone, or as we call it, the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, the first of J.K. Rowling's is it rolling or rolling? I think it actually... I don't know. I thought it was rolling, but we all say rolling anyway. The I, first I of J.K. Rowling's books, as well as the very first <laughs> movie directed by Chris Columbus in 2001. This is a series that we are uh, all very familiar with. Uh, Anthony and I grew up with it. Jen was introduced to it a little more recently, like within the past five or six years. But, as always, we'd like to ask each other what we've been up to this past week. Anthony, what have you been up to since our last recording? Well, I've been keeping a close eye on The Mandalorian, chapter... Is it 12? Is it chapter This two? is 13. 13, now. okay. It's 13. Yeah. So, yeah, we're on chapter 13 of The Mandalorian, season 2, and, man, I'm blown away by this episode. It's called The Jedi... That's like the mm -hmm. official name for it. This episode introduced a character that I hold near and dear to my heart, uh, Ahsoka Tano. We won't get too deep into what the episode's about, but I am really happy to finally see a live action Ahsoka. Uh, I hold her near and dear to my heart. I love the series, The Clone Wars, which introduces her and Rebels pretty much continues on her story a little bit and she grows up a little bit in that. And so I was pretty excited to finally, finally see her in live action. I mean, that was like the highlight of my week. And I was so happy about <laughs> and that. Rosario Dawson, man, she nailed that part. Um, it, this is a character that has only existed in the animated series of the Clone Wars and Rebels, as you said. And some of the comics and canon novels in the series as well. But her jump from animation to live action was done beautifully first of all right the directing by dave filoni dave filoni who created the character to begin with yes uh and that's that's been his star wars baby all these years and finally getting to direct his baby in live action was so awesome to see um and he wrote the episode too so it, it was nobody fitting. knows star wars today yeah nobody knows star wars today better than dave filoni does and it shows, you right. know, he, whenever, whenever he does an episode of Star Wars of anything, he's taking you to school. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's true. Actually. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. What'd you think, Jen? I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. I was so happy with the episode. I'm so happy with the culture around the show. Mm. I think the fact that they're releasing the episodes weekly instead of allowing people to just binge them just creates so many like meme culture conversations it allows like us to predict and, and it's cool the way that it ties in the different shows so it's like you have the clone wars people that have so much to say about it you have the rebels people that have so much to say about it it just is like a great time to be a star wars fan and it makes me really like just immensely happy oh yeah and what's great is that 
the fandom is pretty united around the fact that this is a great show for Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Um, which you can't say even <laughs> even like half of that is united for the sequel series or any any other Disney properties. And even properties. George Lucas was going and visiting the set, which he didn't do for the the films. The right? films, yeah. So he he George Lucas is a fan of innovation and what they're doing with the Mandalorian and the way they're filming it is innovative you know he he appreciates what they're doing pushing the medium to the next level and they definitely are so yeah super super cool to see ahsoka in the mandalorian i think we'll have to talk about uh we'll have to talk mandalorian season two uh in the coming weeks and months ahead of us just because we we want to dedicate a full episode to it you know we can't just divulge everything right here and now. Uh, right. Did you do anything else this past weekend besides Mandalorian or no? Well, games. I, I've jumped back into Destiny Two. They released a new expansion called Beyond Light, and it's really cool. They added this like new power to it, and so they've added like a dark side now. Like for the what? longest time, all the powers have been kind of like light side powers, and now. The power that they added to this one is called is like a dark side. It's called like the Revenant subclass or something like that. It's officially called Stasis, but the powers are really just like ice. Like I mean, it's like freezing, like cryo. But that's different. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's cool been though. it's been fun. Like I've been playing Destiny yeah. on and off. Pretty excited to see like the direction that Bungie has taken since they've split with Activision. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, so how about you, Dakota? What have you been up to? I know that you've been pretty busy yourself. Yeah. So obviously, we've been watching Mandalorian as well, um, and that's been kind of the biggest thing in fandom recently. Oh yeah. But um, as some of you are aware, I did a, a video as part of a collection of YouTubers uh, video essays called the Director Project, where we dissected. Uh, videos on uh, one particular director at the that month, which was Spielberg. This month we're doing, uh, and I think I can finally say this now because you know we're, we won't be releasing this until after the playlist is released. We're doing Hayao Miyazaki, and this past month uh, Jen and I have been going through uh, all eleven films of Hayao Miyazaki's uh, like filmography and. Holy cow, man. He might be my favorite director. Just hit after hit. And I grew up with some of his movies. And Jen, you grew up with other other of his movies. And to finally, you know, sit down and watch him grow as a director and take techniques that he learned from one film to another film um, and just kind of molds this tapestry of films together. It's really cool, man. So I'm excited to, uh, the video that I'm doing for the director project this month is uh, about Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind and how the themes in that movie kind of tell a story about how Ghibli uh, and the future films are connected in uh, like thematic ways. So it, it's kind of hard to explain. You kind of have to just watch the video. Just do it. Go to Geek Critique. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, I love Studio Ghibli and... We need to make some episodes on those movies because there are so many of those movies that were very much a part of my childhood. And I mean, I loved Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, just to name a few of them. Jen, which are, which are your favorites? Well, for me and my brother, we grew up on Totoro, which for some reason, and please, please comment because I'm, I'm taking a tally on this. Um... If you're from the Bronx and you're Puerto Rican 
and you pronounce it Totoro, please let me know. Because for some reason, every Puerto Rican from the Bronx that I know pronounces Totoro as Totoro. Totoro. Um, this is just this is just a project, a lifelong a lifelong work. I've been you know. Trying to figure out. Yeah, I've been really trying to figure this out because my mom started it and every Puerto Rican that I've met has done it. Um, And we loved Kiki's delivery service. Yeah, Yeah, I like that one too. Yeah, so I remember one time it was so embarrassing that like I said, yeah, I love like Studio Ghibli. And somebody was like, well, what films have you seen? And I'm like, the two that I grew up with. (laughs) And then it wasn't until later that I saw all the other ones and just going through all of Miyazaki's movies, you just see that he's actually like a total genius like he's brilliant and amazing and it's hard to pick a least favorite yeah of his films it's very hard yeah but but you guys you guys grew up with harry potter and you had that kind of privilege of you know seeing all the films come out or all of the books come out you know as as they were Mm -hmm. written and then the films subsequently and i didn't actually get into this until dakota and i were married so i i kind of regret that you know, I had that opportunity because I'm the same age as you guys. I wish I would have gone into it. I just, I, I don't know what it was. It just totally missed me. Yeah, I, I would say that it was a great time. Dakota was the one that got me into Harry Potter. And by then there was four books out. As soon as I read that first book, it had me instantly hooked. I was enchanted mm-hmm. by the story, the world building, just everything that was going on in it. I had to read more. And so, yeah, I just, I kept on going with it. I had the privilege of being able to get these books as they released. I mean, I would say that there's maybe very, very few times in my life that I was genuinely excited for a book to come out. Like, kind of like the way I get excited about, like, a new video game release. One of the upcoming books that I'm pretty excited about is Ready Player Two. So I'm getting that feeling a little bit more. Or I'm getting that feeling a little bit again, but Harry Potter was just on some other scale. And so when the first movie came out, I remember being super stoked and super excited about that. I started reading the books when the when the third book had come out. I remember my grandmother on my mom's side gave me the third book. I remember getting the third book as a present from her. And then my mom had to buy me the first two because it didn't make any sense (laughs) to start from book three um so i i read that and my parents got into it like really quickly too i think like by the time the fourth book had come out my mom and i had gotten my dad to read the the books and he read the first two books in a day like he just sat down and, and just opened it up and just went page by page in a in a single sitting it was it was crazy i don't know how we did it but um yeah my whole family was hooked and by the time the final book came out deathly hallows we were in california at the time and um i remember (laughs) it got to the point where like we all wanted to read the books immediately so we ended up getting like three three copies of you know this huge tome of a book (laughs) um so so it's cool. I mean, it's what's great about that series, and uh, it's probably something that will very rarely ever happen again, is it's a series that is an event for a book to be released. Yeah. You know, you kind of have event-type movies. You know, you have your Avengers movies. You have, you have your, like, big Star Wars movies that come out. You have movies that you need to get in on the moment they come out just to be part of the cultural 
consciousness of the time and harry potter was one of those that you just needed to be there because it was what everyone else was doing and um there were great books and i think philosopher's stone or the sorcerer's stone for us is probably one of my favorite reading experiences of my life it was probably the biggest book i had read up until like that was the biggest book that i had read at that age in my life and i think i think so that was too. the same for you yeah yeah it was when i read that book i would say that that was probably the most mature book that i had read at that point even though it was geared towards a younger audience they did have a lot or rowling had put a lot into it that adults were able to connect with it also mm -hmm. and i think Definitely. that that's why your parents were so easily able to you know connect with it as did a lot of other adults it had a way of just grabbing your attention and i, I remember sitting there and just reading for hours like i mean just hours i remember your dad actually had come up to me at some point after you had started reading harry potter and he 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 like pulled me aside and he said thank you for introducing these to anthony um i'm i've never been so happy that he's reading Aww, and that's so cute <laughs> so that's a that's a fun little that's awesome yeah i, I don't know if i ever told you that but yeah, yeah no he, yeah, he was you very actually happy never did reading. anthony what uh, anthony jen um other anthony other anthony <laughs> how did you get into it i know that you were an adult by the time that you had read it uh for the first time you somehow missed the boat dude so I remember when I first moved upstate from the Bronx in New York, the girl who lived next door was like, so have you read Harry Potter? And I was like, no. Because to me, that was like <laughs> something for kids. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about it, honestly. Like I think, yeah, I just, I just totally missed it, to be honest. Like I was reading the Twilight books at the time and I was like, no, that's like a kid's story. What are you talking about? And she just kind of like dropped the subject and she didn't tell me anymore. And I kind of think back to that, like, dude, you should have freaking told me how awesome this was because it wasn't until that I, I was married to Dakota that he was like, yeah, get into this. Or no, we were dating. We were dating. Yeah. We were married. And we went through all of the movies and I just like, it just clicked, you know, like some things just like really connect with you. And I was like, I love this. And then we listened to all the audiobooks together. Yeah. And I did my Patronus test. I did my house <laughs> test. I did the house test so many times that I wanted to make sure am I truly a Gryffindor? Yes, I'm a Gryffindor because I've taken it so many times that I always get Gryffindor. And yeah. basically the answer is I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. So I'm a Gryffindor. Yeah. And yeah, I, that's where we're at. I, I just really loved it. I think I'm going to try it again also because when I took it, I actually got Slytherin. <laughs> that's cool too though that's fine i think I the book that's one thing that i feel like rowling could have done better like she could have definitely made slytherins more um great characters instead of bad yeah characters. yeah like they're yeah. not bad i think that's probably the biggest failing of harry potter that stuff like avatar the last airbender gets right um where the bad characters aren't wholly bad mm -hmm. or at least some of them aren't wholly bad you know some of them have redeeming qualities that in some instances turn them towards the light or uh, and, and vice versa turn towards towards the dark but um in harry potter you don't have redemption arcs for characters that are bad yeah and everyone th there are no good characters that we know of from slytherin house and that's that's a failing i mm -hmm. think 
in her work. I know, but, yeah, she kind of, she missed something pretty big. I think it would have been pretty awesome to see a redemption in Malfoy. I think that there's that yeah. potential. There's definitely a potential. There was potential there, Because yeah. he had that internal conflict. But yeah, I don't want to get too deep into, you know, some of the other books. Uh, I know, then, it's hard to talk about right. just just one of the stories. Right. Um, I, I think it would have been cool if later on um, in the series, it could have been revealed that Dumbledore was actually a Slytherin. Because he, I don't know, when you analyze his personality a little he more, he has a ambition. lot of Slytherin traits. That and I think it would have cool. been really cool if, like, later on in, like, Half-Blood Prince, or even if it happened in Hollows, I don't know how Harry could have gone that far without knowing that, but whatever, if it would have been revealed, oh yeah, Dumbledore is a Slytherin. Alright, enough talking about other Harry Potter books, other Harry Potter movies. Let's talk about <laughs> The Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone. This is the book that started it all, um, and it kind of changed the game when it came to young adult novels. You know, you talk about reading Hunger Games, you talk about reading the Twilight series. Those wouldn't have existed if The Sorcerer's Stone hadn't come out in 1997. You know, you probably would have had stuff like it, but the young adult, the YA um, universe, what was possible with young adult fiction changed drastically when that first Harry Potter book was published. And that's what took her so long to get it published. Right. Was the fact that it was so unique. Yeah, I think she said something along the lines of, like, 15 publishers said no. Right, um, and right, then, yeah. And she, you know, because it was like a children's book, but it was so long that they were like, it just doesn't fit the normal format of what we publish. Right. And it's crazy that while she was working on this, she had so much going on in her life also. Like, she was, mm-hmm. she was going through a lot. I, I had uh, kind of looked a little bit into her her past, and and she she had some stuff going on while she was writing these books. And yeah, that first one, yeah. it it was hard for her to get her stride into you know finding publishers until she finally like found that one that gave her the chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she was living on government funding at the time. I think she, she was. She had a daughter, and she was either recently divorced yep. or about to get divorced. Yeah. I think she was writing a lot in, like, cafes. She did a fantastic speech, either for Harvard or Oxford or Yale, or a very pretentious, uh, very famous school. <laughs> um, she did a speech for them about failure and how, like, you students who are graduating from this really famous school obviously aren't very familiar with failure but failure was basically she considered it like a launching pad for her career that it wasn't until after studying the classics and failing that she was launched into who she should be and and who she became and i think that's that's always been really touching to me that that speech is something that in my college career i've gone back and written essays on and stuff because i think it's really important yeah yeah. So what do you think is um, the reason that this first book, just this first book about this young boy who lost his parents and is the sole survivor of a curse that is known to kill everything that it touches, what makes this such a excellent chosen one story that you know so many people go back to? The, one of the things that I would say about that is he's 11 years old when he steps into this world. Had no idea about a whole magical world before that. Pretty much every other kid that was going to Hogwarts had known about magic. They were around magic. At least one of their parents 
were magic and you know most of these people they all had their parents and so he's coming into this world not knowing anything about magic a lot of us are around the same age as him reading this i mean i was close to that same age so it was crazy because we're yeah we're, we're the same age and we're learning this world just as he's learning the same thing too so whatever he's learning we're learning too and it's crazy because you're reading through the character but she kind of set it up in a way to where it's like you're in the same place as him because he's just as lost as you are that's a really good point you know we're we're discovering the world as he's discovering the world and um that's a good juxtaposition with all the other kids who you know you have the malfoys and the weasleys who have been uh, in wizarding families for centuries but then you have characters like um hermione granger who you know was uh muggle-born she had no wizarding parents but she had means of you know grabbing uh means and desire i should say to go and grab like you know stuff like a history of magic um and different textbooks that she could learn as uh you know before she got into hogwarts but for harry this is 100 percent a fresh experience every single day and i think that's that's part of the magic of the of the, of the, the books and it's also tremendously relatable in the sense that Harry's life is not ideal. He's not loved the way that, you know, in normal stories, kids are loved and adored by their parents. Obviously, you know, the orphan thing is something that's been done time and time again because it is something that people can kind of relate to in a way, or it's something that's compelling. It's somebody who isn't given the opportunities that he deserves in life, and then suddenly a portal opens up just at the right time, you know, and we're just thrown into another world. I think that it spends so much time, you know, with the Dursleys to show the, the juxtaposition of like real life and a better life where he has money, he has friends, he has um, abilities that make him stand out. So these are all things that are very relatable to kids who don't feel like their lives are all that great. And then suddenly it's like, wow, if I went to Hogwarts, I would have all of these things. So does it make Harry Potter a more interesting character because he is a chosen one or does that kind of detract from uh like our relatability to him i don't think it does because he doesn't know that he's a chosen one so in his mind he's just harry i'm just harry (laughs) (laughs) you know he he doesn't know that so then when he gets into this world he's kind of confused and almost like off put by all of the like weird attention he gets right yeah which is cool it is it is weird for him to uh know that he is someone to uh i guess fawn over to be wanted to um he's a popular figure probably one of the most popular figures in the wizarding world even though he didn't even know the wizarding world existed i know and even before the sorting he's given the opportunity to take you know, power in the wizarding world by befriending Draco Malfoy. Draco says, like, I'll tell you who to be friends with. And he mm. says, I think I can figure that out for myself, and it's not you. So I'll I'll stay friends with, you know, Ron Weasley, because he's cool and he's nice. And that kind of shows you where he stands. He's like, he's not trying to... He's not Albus. He's not trying to rise among the ranks and, and gain... He's Notoriety. Just, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's just trying to, you know, be himself and enjoy this experience. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I love about 
the series is its theme of friendship that goes past the first book and lasts all the way up until the you know the very last scene in the epilogue of uh the entire series so um he quickly becomes friends with ron weasley on the hogwarts express going to hogwarts but they don't really become friends with uh, Hermione Granger until after, I think, like, chapter 10 or 11 or something like that. After the troll attack in the dungeon, uh, or in the girls' bathroom. And the the dynamic between the three is so good. It's so uh, refreshing. Every every scene that they're in, they complement each other because you ha- you kind of have, like, the bumbling antics of Ron. You have kind of the quirky sarcasm of Harry. And you have the know-it-all, but still confident <laughs> attitude of Hermione. And I think uh, together they make a really great team. Right. Well, they each kind of represent the three houses, right? Like you have Ron representing Hufflepuff, Harry, Slytherin, and Hermione, Ravenclaw. But they have the same values, so that's what makes it work. Who? Why Harry Slytherin? Because he's ambitious and... You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't like this theory at all. Really? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's like a big theory among the Harry Potter community. He's uh, kind of even. He has that whole conversation with the Sorting Hat. Like, did you choose correctly? And the Sorting Hat literally says to him, "You would have done really well in Slytherin." And then Harry, freaking Harry, who can't accept you know something he doesn't like, is like, "You're wrong." And so, it's just like, dude. W- so where you asked? Who represents <laughs> Gryffindor? They're all Gryffindor, that's what I'm saying. It's like, basically, the the reason why she chose three, these three different archetypes was because they kind of give you insight into the personalities of the different houses, but Gryffindor is a little bit more unique in that you can have all of these other things, but still value bravery over them. Okay. Uh, I, I see what and that's why Harry was able to choose Gryffindor, because even though he's ambitious and all of these other things, kind of like his father, he still values bravery over those things. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. He would rather do what is right than what is easy. Right, I, I, I yeah. see what you're saying. They all have this sense of bravery that makes them Gryffindor. And Harry has this aspect of him that's very clever. And that's how he's able to get through a lot of the stuff. I mean, he does get help from his friends. But at the end of the day, I mean the cleverness he he has it and yeah there, there's that that goofy loyalty that ron has that's very hufflepuff and uh, yeah hermione is yeah she's very ravenclaw like she has she could have mm-hmm. gone either or to be honest mm-hmm. with yeah. that that sense of knowledge and that intellect that she has and Rowling kind of like acknowledges that at the end, right? Where she's like, books and cleverness fail in comparison to friendship and bravery. You know, right. she it shows you it's what she cares about more. She's willing to shove her own... It's basically Gryffindor is shoving your own interests aside to do what is the right thing to do. And if you have that quality, then you can be a Gryffindor. Yeah, so he who must not be named or you know who or whatever... One of the several you know hundred, <laughs> yeah, Pharaoh, one of the several hundred names, uh, Lord Voldemort, the big bad. Th- this Tom is, Morbolo, yeah, Tom, Morbolo. yeah, exactly. He's got so many names. And so he, he's the, the big bad of these books and, and the films. And he's the one 
that he's pretty much he's the reason why Harry doesn't have his parents and he's also the very reason why Harry is so popular you know you yeah. you don't find out until later on in the series like why Harry survived but the fact that Harry survived Voldemort and you know quote unquote destroyed Voldemort at least for the time being uh while just being a baby like just it's all because of Voldemort why Harry is where he's at you know mm-hmm. and which is so interesting right I love it and they they do have a connection even from the very first uh novel you know yeah wait what do you guys think of Ollivander can we talk about Ollivander well we'll talk about because <laughs> that kind of connects to Voldemort all like right. yeah all right, so look, go hit it I don't know, it's just because that's our introduction to Voldemort pretty much is like because Hagrid doesn't really want to say Voldemort's name and he kind of tells, you know, Harry a little bit about him, but it isn't until Ollivander that he's like he did, you know, terrible but great things or whatever he says. And it's like that gives you the first real glimmer into other perspectives of this big bad. Mm. Imagine that, like, you know, in a kid's book, you have somebody who's Kind of not saying that they're sympathetic toward him because it's like he did bad things but great things. Uh, yeah, I don't. It's think, really unique. I, I don't think Ollivander likes what uh, Voldemort was all about. I don't think he was anywhere near um, like a follower of his. But he's a he's a Ravenclaw, so he's just genuinely curious about the power that he has oh, and how he's wielding. Yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think as just uh, a fan of the work that he does which is you know create wands so that you can channel your magic through um olivander would have a deep respect for the things that Voldemort was capable of doing even if some of it and most of it was disgusting stuff right um terrible stuff so um yeah he's an interesting character um but yeah olivander is important because um we learn that harry uh, the wand that chose Harry was the sister wand of the wand that uh, Lord Voldemort had had gotten when he was a child, mm-hmm. and um, it, it it's the first connection to the later books that would help us explain or would help explain why he's so strangely connected to Voldemort, and that's one of the cool things about the books is even though I'm sure. Rowling didn't have the entire story planned out by the first book. She had something planned out. She knew where the story was going, roughly. And you can tell that by little choices that she made, like that connection between the two wands. And stuff like that's really cool. And and going back to, you know, Lord Voldemort. Yeah, you're right, Anthony. It was he who uh, gave Harry the means for the life that he had. But... Just because Harry was, um, you know, the chosen one, just because Harry was popular and just because um, he, you know, he had money in the bank and stuff that he never had before. He had all this power that he never had before. That doesn't mean that Harry would ever choose that lifestyle. You know, he's never been the character and he was certainly not the character in this book that wanted the fame. He didn't want to be known as uh, the, the boy who lived. He didn't want this life that uh, Voldemort bestowed onto him unwillingly. But he has it, and he has to live with it. And I think by the end of the Sorcerer's Stone, when Voldemort kind of re-emerges trying to take the Sorcerer's Stone for himself to bring back his life, you kind of 
get this sense that Voldemort thinks he's just some sort of brat mm-hmm. who got powerful and got um, famous because he rode off the success of you know himself, Lord Voldemort. But really, that's not who Harry is. And I think by the end of the series, Voldemort realizes that's not who he is. You know, almost like too late. You know. Yeah, he learns too late how to defeat Harry Potter, and it's cool. It's a it's a really well crafted story from the beginning all the way to the end. Yeah, Harry Potter always relies on the love of others mm-hmm. to to help him, and I think that really shows in this story too, because it's like him making his first friendships, him relying on people to show him what Hogwarts is all about. He's not trying to be super independent he doesn't mind saying yeah i know nothing about this and he lets people guide him and that's what helps him succeed in the end you're you're right about talking about the the theme of friendship that is so strong throughout the series usually when harry's in a fight with his friends or if there's there's some sort of disconnect or dissonance with his friends he's at his worst you know he's Mm -hmm. at his worst totally and so when he's united with them and they're working together and solving that's usually when they solve their problems and so she's really like pushing the theme of friendship throughout this series and seeing it established in this first book and how strong the friendship is just to just to begin with you know at the start it's really awe-inspiring to see such a great friendship like that between you know three yeah. three individuals yeah i think growing up the three things that kind of guided my approach to friendship and approach to you know teamwork and stuff was this harry potter series the first kingdom hearts game and smallville mm. you know in in each of those shows, or in, in Smallville's case, in Kingdom Hearts' case, in Harry Potter's case, friendship is 100% the thing that keeps the motivation of each of the characters moving. Um, with with Harry Potter, you have, like you said, Anthony, he wouldn't get anywhere if he didn't have the people around him. Right. By his side. You know? Uh, you have scenes like in... Uh, goblet of fire where he's kind of alone without his friends because of whatever personal drama they have going on with each other but by the time they get things back together they're a more cohesive group they're able to figure things out and um you you see that cohesion by the end of the first book really well you know they have to go through the trials on the third floor um to get uh the sorcerer's stone from uh, they think Snape, but really it's Professor Quirrell. And, you know, Ron is fantastic at chess. Mm-hmm. You have Hermione, who has the, the brains to um, keep them alive, basically. And then you have Harry, who he's the key to it all at the end of the day. And he's the perfect, he's the only one that could have been there at the end, you know, besides maybe like Dumbledore, that could have done the right thing in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's so well done. Yeah, this is this is fantastic story it's not my favorite of the harry potter books or the harry potter stories what i love about the film version is it's probably the best adapted of each of the the it is books to film it 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 is i remember watching the the film 
I had so I I'd read the the first book recently, and then I watched the the film after that, and I realized how close they got between the both of them. the The further you get into the series, they they still follow the story pretty well, but there are certain cuts that you notice in the films, mm-hmm. you know, that were in the mm-hmm. books. I do applaud that they were able to take the the first book and adapt it so well into a film. And I agree with you also the first one the first book isn't my favorite either, but I respect it because of what it established. Yeah. Yeah, I think it kind of gives you the foundations of their personalities. You have Hermione who's book smart, Ron who's good at strategy. And then Harry, who has like a really keen sense of intuition um, that really gets him by and and helps him get ahead. So you do kind of see their personalities developing in the way that they react to this very new environment for the characters. Do you guys prefer a one-to-one adaptation, like from book or, or book to film or like game to film? Or would you prefer something to take the heart of the story and try to capture the, the whatever works best on film? Like, where do you guys land? Uh, for me, I mean, in the past you had the issue of like money. People weren't sure if there would be enough support for something like that. The Harry Potter fans have more than proved that they would be willing to invest their time and money into it into a one-to-one shot. I don't I honestly don't care if it's freaking animated. I do not care. If they could do literally exactly the books <laughs> and put it onto the screen, that's all I'm asking. Like you could do it. It's it could be done. You have the fan base to support you. We will give you our freaking money. Right. Just do it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some amazing like comics on the on the Harry Potter subreddit that are literally f- like shot by shot what happens in the books and it's so much better. I mean, the 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 films are fantastic because what they were able to accomplish with keeping all of those actors, even side characters on board the that's whole true. way through. That's a that's a feat. It's freaking amazing. That's a feat in and of itself. Yeah, like there's a lot of love in those movies and I think that's what makes me go back to them so much, but if there was a show Holy crap, I don't think I'd do anything else. Who knows what I'd do? <laughs> I, I would just be watching Harry Potter all the time. I I like Harry Potter as a film. I think because I grew up with these films, I can't see the characters as anything else. Even the actor who portrayed Dumbledore from the third movie onward, I don't consider him Dumbledore. I consider the, the original actor who played Dumbledore um, to be that character. That's partially just because I, it was the perfect age for me to develop that relationship with those characters and those actors. But I think for me, the stories were so well captured. Um, the heart the heart of the stories was so well captured in each of the movies. You know, you have some failings. I think maybe uh, Goblet of Fire is the, the one that they butchered the most. And you have maybe the Prisoner of Azkaban, which has like the most plot holes, in my opinion, uh, in the film version of it. But with the first two movies, like uh, Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets, they do a really good job of like going one to one. But I actually feel 
like stuff like the the Order of the Phoenix one um, really captured the heart of yeah. the story. It, they were able to condense the largest book in the series into something manageable, and you never felt like you were missing something important because all the story beats were there that you needed to know. So I, I I'm torn. You know, I I could go a one to one, you know, copy of the the. The books, kind of like how Watchmen uh, was with uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, it was like a one-to-one panel recreation of the Watchmen, and some people hate that. Some people don't want that. People kind of want to see their like something new that takes the original work and adapts it. Some people like uh, the one-to-one stuff of like the Chamber of Secrets and the Sorcerer's Stone. So I don't know. I'm I'm torn. I I really like what they did with the series. What about you, Anthony? One-to-one can work depending on the book. Some books are written very cinematically, if that makes any Mm. sense. Sure. And so they're kind of written in a way that they're meant that if they were to be adapted, that they could go one-to-one. Sometimes there's a lot of fluff in a book that the director might need to take a little bit of a liberty to kind of cut trim some of that fat i don't mind as long as they take the source material and they respect it because sometimes they they just go so crazy with it like ready player one we talked about it they made changes to the challenges but the source material was still respected the heart of the book Mm -hmm. was still respected and so Mm -hmm. that wasn't a one-to-one but i still really enjoyed it yeah harry potter it didn't have the one-to-one after a certain point like after like three and on and the fourth book is actually my favorite one i love goblet Mm -hmm. of fire and yeah i was a little upset that they did cut out a lot that beginning part especially when they got to the uh, quidditch world cup there was so much more to it in the book so much more and i loved it if i read the book first i'd be like the heck is yeah, this? Yeah, that was the biggest disappointment for me. I loved that part. That was like one of my favorite parts of that book, um, aside from the actual tor- tournament. And that's like the biggest thing that, you know, we'll get to later later on when we cover these other books. But yeah, it, the first book and film, they, they pretty much move in sync. It's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, if there was a comic version of Harry Potter, it would be panel to panel you know yeah and i appreciate that i like it i like the chris columbus look of harry potter and the feel of harry potter he only did the first two um movies but they have a certain feel to them and chris columbus uh, does other stuff that kind of has like a christmasy vibe and this certainly has a christmas yes vibe. it um, really does it's a certain like heartwarming feeling to it um that is is fun to watch and it's just it's something that's very easily um rewatchable with Strictly the Sorcerer's Stone, what do you guys think is your favorite scene and why? I love his first Quidditch match. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, it's, such it's a unique. great yeah, really part. Good. I mean, you don't, you don't really see too much about it. I mean, Oliver Wood teaches him a little bit about it, but there's only so much that you can learn outside of like practice. It's more like when you actually get into the game, that's when you start like really learning. And so you see this whole new sport and you're like, yo, like I read it on, on, on the paper, you know, on the book, 
but actually seeing it in a movie, I was like, you know what? Like, you can kind of visualize it a, a little bit better. I think that J.K. Rowling, she did a great job at, at explaining it. And so seeing it in the movie form was like, it felt like I was, it was like what I saw in my head a little bit while, while I was reading. And so, yeah, that, that first scene with him playing, you know, with him, you know, he was the seeker and oh, dude, it was just, it was great. That, that scene was so fantastic. I absolutely loved that. I, you know, I thought that, you know, Quidditch was just such an interesting sport and to see it on the screen, it, it was, it was pleasing. Yeah. Touching upon that, I really loved the care that they took to make Harry simultaneously unnatural on the on the broomstick but also kind of wonky on it as well mm-hmm. you know like he was still wobbly but he knew what to do to make the maneuvers that he had to and in the first Quidditch match yeah he, he busts out some moves like doesn't he like uh he like rides it like a surfboard he rides it like yeah. a surfboard yeah. and then swallows it <laughs> um yeah yeah like he stands but on he's it. uncomfortable like he doesn't look like it's easy yeah he he's doing everything that he can but it's instinctual what he's doing. And I, I love that they were able to capture that so well in the movie. For me, it's it's the initial entry into Hogwarts. Um, that scene, especially in the movie, I think is done perfectly. You know, you have the, uh, you know, John Williams music as oh, yeah. they as they slide uh, or they ride rather into the the docks of the school with Hagrid in in the front and all the first years uh in in little boats and just the magic of the scene it's it's like it's so bizarre because all the other kids you know ride up on carriage to the to the school but they go the extra mile of like uh, just giving the first years the best experience that they possibly mm-hmm. can. They want to make it as magical of an experience as uh, as possible. And I think that that's such a cool thing. And uh, that first entry into the Great Hall, um, you know, with the, the ceilings that, like, uh, mimic the night sky oh, and candles. Yeah. It's... And Hermione giving facts, even though she's never been there before. Right. <laughs> it's such a great scene. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's such a a homey scene it's warm and inviting and you kind of you're again like you said earlier you're following harry on this journey of discovery yeah uh, what about you Jen? for me i think there were a couple of scenes that came to mind honestly a lot of um just being in Diagon Alley, i think is really cool but one scene that always stands out to me so much is the scene where he first meets snape in the class where snape is kind of like goading him you know and it just reminded me so much of my youth. I've always been the type of student that, that teachers either love or freaking hate me. Like, there is literally no in-between every teacher I have. And it, it's my own fault. I mean, it's just the way that I am. But you kind of have that with Harry where he's trying, you know, to do his best and be a good student. He doesn't understand, why does this professor just hate me? <laughs> right, and right. I just, I think it's an interesting introduction because, too, it's like fame isn't everything. It's like, yeah, you're not just going to ride through here and everything's going to be easy. There's going to be some pushbacks. There's going to be some setbacks and hopefully you'll be strong enough to overcome them. I just, I always, I, and I love Snape. I know a lot of people in the Harry Potter fandom really hate him, but I, I really love him. And I think that's a really cool scene. Yeah. And for those of you who like might not know this and I might not even be honestly saying it right. When Snape first, first meets Harry, he says something like, 
what do you get when you put together like asphodel and wolfsbane or wormroot or something or the other and um it's basically like like lily is the answer and he's kind of testing harry to see if he like how intelligent he is and basically are you more like lily or are you more like james Mm. and the answer is kind of irrevocably james yeah which is not what snape wants to hear and then snape is kind of a jerk from there on out which is very stupid but very snape right and alan rickman he nailed that role so well oh my gosh he was fantastic as that role he's actually he, he he made the character better yeah he did you know even his introduction when he first walks into the classroom i'm i'm going to school to be an english teacher and they kind of talk about that a bit and i've used that introduction as an example of like basically when you're entering a classroom you want to make a bit of a scene almost to like get the attention back on you in a non-rude way and it's just like exactly what teachers are almost i mean he's not a great teacher at all but that like introduction is pretty fantastic for that Mm. okay all right like just like walking in and like like owning yourself and being yourself and be like okay we're doing this now speaking of school i had the prompt for an extra credit assignment that i did um from a professor for my juvenile fantasy lit course where we went over harry potter and it was um in the mirror of erised where it shows you the you know deepest desires of your heart like what what you want when you look in the mirror it asks the question, do you think Dumbledore actually saw a pair of like thick wool socks, which is what he told Harry he saw. And then later at the end of the chapter, Harry is like, he might not have been telling the truth. Mm. You know, um, do you guys think that that's what Dumbledore actually saw? I kind of can see it, but I also can imagine like other things that it could be that he would want most. So the mirror of Erised is uh, a mirror that shows you um, with whatever your heart desires most. And we really don't know what, at this age in life, Dumbledore wants most. <laughs> you know, he is quirky enough that, or eccentric enough that you could see, you know, him finding that lost pair of socks and being like, this is the best thing ever, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been in that position where, like, I somehow, like, I reach under, like, the, the cabinet and I find a pair or the extra sock to the, the random pair that's uh, been, like, just in my drawer for the past, you know, three years or whatever. And that's a fun little thing that happens sometimes. But um, as far as Dumbledore, who is, you know, without a doubt, the strongest wizard uh, and the most accomplished wizard of the age, is that what he saw in the mirror? Does he want more? I mean, he's one of the most acclaimed wizards of all time. He doesn't want the post of uh, Minister of Magic. He already has... Um, the dream job that he wants and um, you know everyone kind of sees him as a genius so I don't know I I think it could just be a sock (laughs) what about you Anthony so uh, a lot about a a lot of what you said I agree I mean he really is odd enough to that he could have been socks it really could have been socks I mean, because the more you get to know him throughout the series is that, I mean, when, when he, when he's ready to throw down in a fight, like he's ready, like he, like, I mean, he's serious, 
But he can also be like just very odd and kind of chill sometimes. And I could imagine him just like really not wanting to fight and just like wanting to kick back, do his things, and then like you know relax sometimes. You know, he he's got that he's got that <laughs> relax with both socks. You know, rela- yeah, exactly. Relax with, with both. Why socks. have one sock? Um, yeah, he could, you know, he, he can be intense, but he could also be kind. So right. it's, there is that potential that it could have been something else. I mean, he could have seen his sister, you know, hmm. which is something that you learn later on in the series. Like, you know, it could have been socks. It's, it's a very hard question because it could go, you know, it could go in any direction. For all we know, he could have seen himself with the Sorcerer's Stone. True. Um, he he knows that Dar- Darth Vader. He knows that Lord <laughs> uh, Voldemort is still alive. He knows that he will need to do something, you know, extreme to finally get rid of the guy with immortal life. He's capable of doing something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, there's any number of things you, you know that we know of and things that we don't know of that could be the case. Jen, what do you think? <laughs> now that you asked us a question and you've already written, you've, well, you've I'll tell an you what J.K. Rowling thinks, and then I'll tell you what I think. All right, Obviously, do it. what she says is, you know, I I don't know. It's like she said so many things after the books that it's like, do we take it all seriously or not? But after the books came out she did in like some kind of like web chat um she said that dumbledore saw his family so you were right anthony that Mm. he saw his sister because you know we learn a lot about him later but in my essay i i wrote about how what socks mean in the harry potter world what they symbolize and they're very much equated to dobby and how dobby was redeemed by a pair of socks Mm. and he's like a super humble character and he's always kind of attributed to socks to like freedom and his humility. You know, he always like gets them for Christmas because Dumbledore says like, I've always wanted a pair of socks for Christmas, but instead I get books. So it's like people always value Dumbledore for his intellect, but he wants to just kind of have people that love him and want him to be comfortable. So it can go multiple different ways. So it could be um, that he's striving to be humble, which is something that he actually admits he's not a very humble person later and he wants to be more humble. And it could just be that he wants that familial love. Um, so maybe in addition to seeing his family, I wrote, maybe he did actually genuinely see a pair of socks. With Ron, you know, Ron didn't see exactly, he saw what he wanted, but it was symbolic. You know, Ron saw um, himself being praised and loved. And when you look at that image, you don't necessarily see Ron gets praise and love. You see Ron gets titles and this and that and the other thing. But he really just wanted to be notarized by his family and, and rise above his brothers, um, like the bars that have been set for him. So with Dumbledore, the socks might have resem- resembled something or represented something similar, where it's like he wants to be humble. He wants to be supportive of his family and have that familial love, which is something he missed out on in his youth because he was so ambitious. That's an interesting point. And I think with that, we have maybe not sufficiently discussed the Sorcerer's Stone. There's so much to say. There's so much to say and so much that we can continue saying, but maybe we'll hold off until we discuss another one of the Harry Potter books, maybe Chamber of Secrets next. But with that, do you guys have any final thoughts on the first Harry Potter book and or film? I'm glad that at least one chosen one 
then go down the dark side. Mm. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we didn't get a Darth Harry. No, it's a good point, though. Because when I first saw Star Wars, I thought Luke was going to go to the dark side. Because I watched that with Dakota the first time, and I was sure of it. I was like, oh yeah, Luke's going bad. His robes are black now. The, yeah, the I remember her pointing out, like, see? See? He's wearing black. He's going to be dark now. I genuinely thought Luke was going to the dark side. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on this week. Yes, yeah. thank you we, for we joining appreciate us. appreciate you I, I feel up. bad. I feel like I kind of was, like, too much. I don't no, know. no. Why? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's it's perfect. We we want whatever guests that we have on the show to be able to, you know, join in the conversation and talk. We don't want it to be like, oh well, why was that person on the show? They only put said like two things, you know? So Yeah. yeah. And I, I, Harry Potter is like my favorite thing ever. So yeah. like even in this class, like I've like I have so much to say about Harry Potter. And she's, like, kind of controversial now, so it's frustrating because my whole class is only focused on, like, negative things uh, about Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah. It's been so annoying. And, like, just talking, like, just having a nice conversation about Harry Potter has been very pleasant for me. So, right, thank well, you, guys. No problem. Glad you were able to come. Um, uh, if you guys haven't uh, checked out some of our other episodes, Jenna's also uh, been with us for our Avatar The Last Airbender non-spoiler episode that we did uh, early on. I think that's the second or third episode that we did. Um, you can go check that episode out. Uh, we also have uh, a number of other episodes that we, uh, you know, we've loved making and we can't wait to continue making the show for you guys. If you would be so kind and if you're listening to this on a uh, a service that allows you to uh, give us a star rating or a review of sorts, please be sure to do so. We do read those and we appreciate uh, all the kind words that you uh, send our way uh, there or on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you can find us at pgeekology on Twitter and Project Geekology on Instagram. Go in and check that stuff out. Give us those ratings. We appreciate it so, so much. We read it and we do our best to build on that. And also what we want to talk about. I don't know if we said it last episode or if this is news from, you know, from last episode to now. But we're also on Audible. And yes, this is that's new. Right, yeah. right. And Audible actually does offer the option to review. And mm. we're also on just various platforms we're on iHeartRadio. we're on amazon music and you know obviously the mainstreams awesome. like so cool. you know the mainstreaming giants like apple, apple music podcast. yeah apple podcast uh, spotify uh google you know just various smaller platforms also that show up on our website so right. yeah there's so many like different ways that you guys can check us out you know show our support show your support uh just even joining us on on twitter and retweeting an episode release or joining in the conversation really just goes a long way for us and we really enjoy that and and so yeah the, uh it's been great talking about harry potter with uh, dakota and jen it's always great to have you on the show jen and and I definitely appreciate you taking your time to hang out with us and talk about something amazing. Yeah, It's great to be here. I actually love being on the show. So thank you, guys. No problem. No problem at all. Yeah, yeah we'll have you on uh, for some other stuff that uh, I know that you're uh, really big into. Well, we <laughs> need right. to finally Anthony? have that spoiler. 
episode of Avatar. Oh yeah, we gotta get oh, back into yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah, true. Actually, speaking of that, and we'll keep this in the show, just you know, so that you can follow along in our day-to-day life struggle or whatever. <laughs> um, my my father has been watching Avatar: the Last Airbender, Ooh. and he has the last uh, four episodes. You know, the the big movie to go. Oh, We're gonna man. watch that with him. He and- promised me he'd get sushi, and we can all watch it together. Okay. Oh my so goodness. I have to I have to watch something in exchange. It wasn't an even exchange. Like I had to wager something. Yeah. I forget what I'm supposed to be watching. I don't know, Kill Bill or something. Who knows? Who knows with that guy? <laughs> Alright. Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening in up to this point. Um, we'll see you next week. Please be sure to subscribe to us uh, wherever we said that we you can do that. And have a good one. Yeah, have a good one. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>